The Zone is presented by Guaranteed Foods, delivering all natural food to Midwestern families since 1958. Enjoy healthier food, more free time, free delivery, and better value. Go to GuaranteedFoods.com. Still The Zone here. It sounds a little different today, though. I'm Joshua Briscoe over here in the big chair. Is that Sterling Holmes? Sterling, that's usually where I sit. You're going to have to move your backpack later so Mick Schaefer can sit there at 1 o'clock. But you got a full hour to figure that out. Dylan Michaels behind the glass. That is the stability we all need in these trying times. As is the calming presence of the one and only Josh Kaiser. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshKaiser40. Check him out on the One Royal Way podcast over on KC Sports Network. An aficionado of all things ranging from the Twister movie sequel and his own vasectomy. Josh, how you doing, man? I'm doing swell. It's been a while since someone says my presence is calming, but hopefully that <laughs> doesn't mean I'm putting people to sleep. That would be a problem. But uh, happy to be here once again, fellow Josh Sterling. How does it feel to be not Josh right mm. now? Incredible. Phenomenal. <laughs> um, I, I, it's weird. I feel like I need to get like an Emmy or like a trophy and give a speech. Just to, like, <laughs> I, hi, I'm, I'd like to thank everyone who's not named Josh for also not being Josh's and believing me. Like, thank my parents for not yeah, naming me Josh. Th- thank you for not naming me Josh or Joshua or, or Joshua's tree or anything in yeah. regards to uh, a, a word start with J. Are you are you typically mm. a Joshua, Josh, in like in the family, or how does your how does your naming convention typically go? It's straight up Josh, unless you're my mom. Shout out mom. But uh, if things are going poorly with her, then it's Joshua. But okay. uh, that's literally the only person I'm allowed to call me Joshua, I, legally. Okay, good. good, good, because there, there there are differences. If you're a Joshua and you're mm-hmm. like, hey, what's up, Josh? And like, no, it's Joshua. We're yeah. not going to have a good time. Yeah, that feels unnecessarily oh, strict. Yeah. Yeah, Joshua's do not party like a Josh does. Yeah, Dylan, go ahead and mark that one also. I know you're, the F8 button's getting worked out over there, but I need that one to make it so I can have a ringtone. I think that's, I think I'm, uh, Joshua in the, Josh in the streets and jo- I'm not sure which one Whoa. is which. I'm gonna keep it moving. Um, mm. I under, I think that naming convention is important. Listen, Guthrie, you keep your eyebrows down, alright? Sterling in the sheets and Guthrie in the streets over here. Relax. <laughs> How do you know my middle name that well? Cause you talk about it all the time. No, you bring it up. Fair. We have talked about it many times, and we've, we've, I was gonna say we've been friends for a while. I'm starting to doubt that. We've known each other for we've a been, while. We've been acquaintances, co-workers. John Dillon, any thoughts? Nope. Not really. Not many ever, so. <laughs> What's your middle name, Josh? And then know. we can move on? Mine's Paul. I don't know, oh. a, like, my best friends, I don't know a single best friend middle name, so I, I need to get on that. I, I feel like I'm, I'm lacking in that department. It, the thing about it that I don't know why this has been true for the, I, honest to God, the entire time I've been allowed to speak on the radio, it's always a good little icebreaker. I mean, because sometimes you figure out that Guthrie Holmes could be a country star while Sterling Holmes yeah. is doing radio. Um, you're Joshua Paul. Like your your name is so biblical. It, the, the Kaiser part right. actually isn't what stands out. And for me, usually yeah, but- Kaiser is a, a very typical biblical association. Spelled different. Yeah, my uh, the story goes that when I was my parents brought me home from a the hospital on the way down to the car, they shared an elevator with a nun, and she said how beautiful I was, obviously because uh-huh. I was a very beautiful baby. Uh-huh. And they asked the name, and they said Joshua Paul, and then her face lit up. So 
from then on, it was history. Like I was, I was just born and uh, into greatness after that. This is Job Habakkuk, and uh, Job. and he's a beautiful, he's a beautiful baby. <laughs> Uh, I shout don't, out mom again for not naming me Job Habakkuk. That's a, a big save. Shout out, shout out to uh, to Mrs. Kaiser. Um, I don't know if mm. Cole is a biblical name, but it may become one around here this year. Uh, I know we are so early in the process of of spring training excitement that that's a, a precursor we can often bring. But Cole Rankins is building on something that we saw legitimately last year. Five strikeouts and two scoreless innings in spring training. I've got some some info on his induced vertical break, which I learned about yesterday. Um, where is your excitement level on Cole Reagans right now? I'm trying to be very uh, realistic here. I don't want to get too excited about Cole Reagans because of the injury history, because of the problems commanding the zone. That's all been there in the past. We have a good, really, really good sample size of him last year and then a great start this, to, to this spring training. But I'm trying to temper my expectations with Cole Reagan, let him you know, pleasantly surprise me with dominance, and, uh, and then see where that takes me. But, man, it is hard to kind of, like I said, kind of temper those expectations a little bit with what he's shown us. It's, it's bonkers. What he's, he's able to hit. 101 with that induced vertical break as well. I mean, that is elite baseball or fastball shape. I, I just cannot get over how good that was. And Anthony Rendon, apparently, he, he, baseball is not his passion, which is more power to him. I totally understand it, but neither was swinging and hitting those pitches and being thrown like Reagan. So it was, uh, it was very, and I was, I was very excited to be able to watch Cole Reagan instead of just try to hear how good he's pitching and, mm-hmm. and hear how Denny Matthews and Jake Eisenberg and Steve Stewart are really uh, making me feel about uh, uh, Cole Reagan. So it was awesome to kind of get to see them on TV yesterday. Yeah, you're trying to temper expectations while I am sitting here going, he might be Randy Johnson. Have we have we have we ever thrown a bird out there just to check? Like throw a bird, get a roadrunner. It's Arizona; get, they're everywhere. Get, get a roadrunner, throw it out there, and see what happens because he might be Randy Johnson. Now, for everyone listening who might not understand baseball induced vertical break, it's the pitch is breaking upward from the average level a pitch falls from release to home plate. So basically when we say 20 inches of induced vertical break, it's not necessarily breaking the laws of physics, right. <laughs> but it's pretty darn close. Basically, mm-hmm. he is a wizard is what we're gathering from Cole Reagans. Now, again, I understand where you're coming from, from the injury side of things, but from the production side of things with Cole Reagans, you look at last year, you look at his ERA, incredible. Then you look at the expected ERA, even lower than what it was supposed to be. So where do you land production-wise with Cole Reagans? Does he still have the opportunity to do what he did last year, but for a full entire season? I mean, I, again, I'm not, I'm not expecting that from him, but it would be great. I and mean, there's plenty of reason to believe he can. As well, I was just hope that he does, because that would be absolutely massive for not only that pitching staff, but also the fan base. There's been, I mean, since 1989, probably, with like going into the season with Brett Saberhagen and George Brett, we've never had a one-two pitcher hitter hype uh, opportunity a hype opportunity there it is Ooh, I like that. uh to, to to very you know have high expectations for a hitter and a pitcher like we do now with uh reagan's and bobby because i mean reagan's has absolutely showed us that he can be that guy in a three-month span um but i just need to see it over the six seven months that he's going to face here i did see while i was kind of looking up things about cole reagan's dave holtzman on twitter was talking about Cole Reagan led the majors in strikeouts from August 1st to the end of the season. That is above 
That's four above Spencer Strider, who won the NL Cy Young last year. So that in and of itself is enough to get you pretty jacked up about it. But the fact that those came without being crazy high walk rate and still having a very low expected ERA is massive for expectations. I, I know we're trying to walk that line of like reasonable expectations and wanting to just hop on the hype train and enjoy what that could mean for this season. But in in that grand scope, what are you allowing yourself in terms of the, the furthest reaches of, of an optimistic outlook that you believe is, is actually plausible for what his year could look like if these pieces are coming together? Well, I did do a parlay calculator on, uh, on something along these lines. So right now, Cole Reagans has the ninth best odds at AL Cy Young at plus 2,500. Bobby Wood Jr. is ninth best odds for AL MVP at plus 2,000. Uh-huh. If those two things happen, the Royals are absolutely making the postseason, which is the plus 400. That parlay comes to about, oh, 23,000, plus 23,000 on that front. So if you want to uh, throw, throw a little money on that parlay and, uh, and plausibly think that that's an outcome, that's, that's your prerogative, but if you're going to do it, do it through DraftKings, promo code KCSN, shout out. <laughs> um, but it, it is reasonable to think that both of those guys could very much be in the mix at the end of the season for two of the uh, Major League Baseball's highest awards. And if that is the case, then we've got something very, very special happening in Kansas City. I was going to ask you about Drew Waters here because Drew Waters has now become my Alberto Mondesi, which is a guy I will never. Like, they'll be like thirty-seven years old. They'll, they'll be thirty-seven years old. They will be no longer in baseball and go. Yeah, but guys, the potential of this dude. I am all in on Drew. Of course, he had a home run in his first game. Of course, he goes one for two yesterday against the Angels. I still believe he has the higher upside than Kyle Isabel. I, it feels like there's either an Isabel guy or you're a Waters guy. There's hardly an in-between here. I get Isabel has the elite defense, but Waters is still very solid in his own right. The power potential's there. He can take a walk. He's a switch hitter. Where do you land on Drew Waters, especially in regards to Kyle Isabel? Um, I, I've kind of maintained that he might have the highest ceiling and the lowest floor of the current outfield group. Like you said, he is he can be and has shown the the ability to carry an offense. He did that in a couple of different stretches down in 2023 last year. But his floors are so low that it's even his ceilings kind of take him you know way out of the picture as far as what you think is going to happen moving forward. But I'm with you there. I and I, I was looking through Sterling's Twitter page right before I came on, and he was a big believer in Coco Crisp back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I was in that. You might not want to believe uh, in me. <laughs> that is, I'm in the same boat, man. I, I had I had a bottle koozie of the number one, and I drew in the name Crisp on the back of the yes. jersey koozie. So I was a very big Coco Crisp believer when he was a Kansas City Royal. But I back to Drew Waters, I guess. Here we go, tangentially. Um <laughs> Drew Waters, I think, has the highest ceiling if he can just make contact with the ball more consistently. I think the, the exit velocity there, the power is there. Like you said, the speed is there. The glove is there. He can absolutely fit anywhere. And the switch inning, uh, a hitter can always go in a lineup wherever you want to put him, even if that's lower towards the end. So I'm a big believer in what Waters can be, but the ultimate test is always going to be bat to ball skills with any major league hitter. If you can't hit the ball consistently, then you're gonna your your ceiling is gonna be extremely low. So I, I think he's gotta figure that out. He's still young, he's still got time, but the clock is kinda ticking at this point. So he's still got some time. We'll see what happens.
Coco Crisp signed a uh, an A's hat for me at spring training at one point uh, out there in uh, out there in surprise, and I, I just still can't believe that his name for an entire professional baseball career was the name of a cereal. Like it's unbe- unbelievable. It's the, it's the great. I, I think it's probably the greatest name in sports history. I know that's a huge, huge list and a huge honor, but it's hard to beat Coco Crisp. Do you know his real name? Yeah. I, I was gonna look it up, and I, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm excited. Even better than I thought. Covelli Lois Crisp. Yeah. Covelli. Boy, it's pretty good. Covelli. It's good. it's spelled like our friend and coworker Covell, just with an I at the end. I wonder if Covell knows that he could have been a Coco. <laughs> he could have. He could have been Coco Hudson. That would have been great. Uh, man, I, that's I, a real. That's a real deep dive in Coco Chris. I didn't. And also, shout out Coco Chris, 2014 Wild Card Hero for the A's during that game. But uh, I sat there watching that game. And was like I knew Coco Chris was going to be the guy. I knew it was going to be him. <laughs> I knew it was going to be Alberto Cayespo. Both of those former Royals are going to come back and win and lose this game. I, I couldn't believe it. All we need was Mike Jacobs to come in. If Mike Jacobs would have came out and played some first base, now that would have been a real treat. <laughs> yep, that's so good. I think MJ Melendez is another guy who is really going to be the difference if this Royals team is around 500 or if they are really struggling. MJ Melendez, obviously, I, I don't know what he is. I don't think he's a, he's not a catcher. Obviously, the Royals have shown that much. He's not an outfielder. Is he a DH? Do you believe in the second half of the season where he looked like a above-average hitter? Because you have to at least be OPS in what, 760, 770 to be considered a DH because you're not good in the field. I just don't know what he is. Is he a trade candidate? Where do you land on MJ? I Again, it's kind of the same ceiling versus floor thing for him, similar to the waters. I I don't think he's ever going to be good in left field and right field. I think he can be serviceable, and if the bat comes along, he can be a valuable big leaguer at that point. But those things are riding on two ifs, and that's never a good a good bet in any case scenario. But the, the talent is there, obviously. He's shown in the second half last season. He's been okay at the plate, but again, like you said, not DH material. He's not going to keep you in the outfield. So what do, What would you say you do here, MJ Melendez? So I don't, I don't know if he's a trade candidate. I don't know what he's bringing back in that situation outside of a bag of balls. Um, people are going to be, you know, still buying in on the potential at that point, but he hasn't shown a ton to be able to, you know, to, to pay a high price that we would probably want him to. And then on the back half, he's a Boris client. So mm. any, any team that wants to potentially have him there in the long term is going to have to, that's an uphill battle to get some kind of extension worked out there too. So yeah, there's a lot that uh, interested team to trade for MJ Melendez would have to really, put themselves out there as far as risk goes to be able to trade for. But uh, he could show something at the beginning of this season and uh, and really start turning heads. And at that point, the Royals shouldn't be trading. They should be playing him every day and, and seeing how high a ceiling really is. So that's kind of where I'm at. It's still a, He's still an assessment for me, despite <laughs> not wanting to be an assessment year. I think he's still in that, in that uh, formation as well. Yeah, his baseball savant page is absolutely wild. So basically, it's on a scale of 1 to 100, right? 100's elite, it's the best. 1 is atrocious. Obviously, it's the worst. Uh, his fielding, his arm strength, 93rd percentile. Great. Arm yep. value, 84th percentile. Obviously, great. His range, 2. Oh! <laughs> yeah. 2. Yeah. And I, he, he's, he's got a bit of athleticism. 
but he's a former catcher, so that's obviously capped. And his routes are atrocious. It's Nori Aoki out there. So, Nori Aoki. Yeah, Nori Aoki was a converted catcher. <laughs> yeah. And then again, you look so, at that. I mean, he could, he just he really could quick, absolutely get better in the offseason. Maybe he was, but I, I just don't know. It's got to go a long way. And then you look at what he did batting-wise, you know, 96th in average exit velocity. That's outstanding. Hard hit percentage, 91st percentile. Barrel percentage, 75th. So you're sitting here. He hits the ball extremely hard, but when he makes contact, he whiffs at the 7th percentile. That's brutal. 93% of Major League Baseball players make contact better than he does. Um, he can take a walk. So you look at some of the more analytical sides of things. You're like, well, he takes a walk. He has a lot of power. He just does not make contact. He's got to get with someone to try and find a way to make contact. Again, I'm not saying you need to become a singles hitter or a Johnny Damon slap hitter, but a little more consistency with MJ would be nice. But you look at the, again, the baseball savant, the underlying metrics, and you look at a guy who's on the cusp. But how many Royals players in the past have we sat back and said, if you could only do this, it's just one thing away. At some point, it just might not happen here. Yeah. And I think the, the things that you would want him to succeed at at the plate, he does. Like hard hit, barrel rate, he's got a pretty good eye. Bat-to-ball skills is definitely, like you said, pretty questionable at best at that point. But I think that could also come with a little bit more experience too. But it is kind of an enigma to have to rely on him, and you really can't. He played a lot of uh, plate appearances were at the top of the order last year, and I just don't think that that can be the case this year. If he gets, if he's hitting fifth or sixth or lower, then, then you're in a pretty good spot. But again, what are you really gaining by trotting him out there every day? Talking to Josh Kaiser of the One Royal Way podcast on KC Sports Network. Josh Briscoe, Sterling Holmes, and Dylan Michaels, your uh, tweaked version of, not that we're a tweaking version, we're the, the tweaked version of the lineup here in the zone today. Jason Anderson back on Wednesday. Josh, I, I want to ask you about uh, a player the Royals did sign since the last time we talked and a player they didn't sign since the last time we talked. What does Austin Nola getting added to this team mean to you other than meaning that Salvador Perez is no longer the oldest catcher on the roster? That is a factoid I did not know. That is very surprising. <laughs> um, it was kind of an interesting signing of a 34-year-old backstop that hasn't. He doesn't have. He might have three or four years of service time. I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but it was interesting because they did not have a third catcher on the 40-man roster. So I'm sure you know right there it was like, okay, this is a depth depth situation. He does have an option, so he can be sit down to Omaha. I thought that there was a potential situation where he could make the opening day roster along with Salvi and Freddie Fermin as, like, we want Salvi to rest more. We want Salvi to DH more. And there's room in the lineup to rotate and, and maintain that flexibility to allow that. Also having Salvi as the backup first baseman in that situation, too. So there's a, there's a scenario where you're carrying three catchers on the opening day roster where you may not have thought that was a possibility prior to the signing. But... I, I still think it's still, and JJ's comments kind of echoed with that as well, that it's going to be Salvi, it's going to be Fermin more than likely, and then Nola's going to be depth if there's an injury problem, something like that. But he also has experience with Seth Luga, with Michael, Mike Walker, a couple of those guys that you know we touched on last time I was on that you know all these guys kind of got on a group chat apparently and be like, hey, mm-hmm. come to Kansas City, it's really cool. <laughs> um, but it could be something along the lines of that. But when he got released by the Brewers, it was a very, very quick signing to jump on uh, the Royals team. So I think they got a spot for him. He's obviously a, it's a major league contract, so it's a 40-man spot. They've got the flexibility. 
So why not? They needed the depth. I think that's where we're at. When it comes to Vinny Pascantino, it feels like everyone's just assuming he's going to bounce back to the guy he was pre-injury. Where do you land on Vinny? Because, again, we're throwing him into he's going to be good. He's going to be the exact same guy he was before the injury, a guy who's the middle-of-the-order type of bat, a guy who is a, what, top 30, top 40 hitter? just hitting-wise in Major League Baseball. Um, where do you land on Vinny? Uh, obviously, we need to see him see the health. And the shoulder was a, has been an issue for multiple seasons. It's not been a new thing. So hopefully the, the procedure he did, it was very you know invasive and drastic, and he missed a, a lot of time with it. So hopefully it is all worth the trouble and the rehab and the emotional toll it obviously took on him with, with the reports that he talking to Andy Rogers over the weekend, talking about how much he missed baseball and how you know excited he was the night before the first game on the on Friday. So he's obviously into it. But I think we've got to see it, obviously. And then hopefully this is – it's got a pretty good history of track record the surgery does of cleaning it up and people kind of coming back to form. So I think there's a good chance that we can see it, which is why everybody's so optimistic. But, you know, you got to you got to prove it. So that's, that's kind of where I am, at least, on, on this. But I'm cautiously optimistic for sure. Here's a non-royal I wanted to ask you about because he got a little bit of buzz or when this deal came down. Cody Bellinger, you may have just forgotten that he was available, and then he ends up signing a three-years, $80 million deal to go back to the Chicago Cubs. Where do you? I saw you quote tweeting one of Lesky's tweets on all of this, and I don't know. You, I, I have seen some Royals fans like kind of apoplectic, and then lots that just sort of assume that no good player would intentionally sign with the Royals, uh, no matter what the price. What did you see when that number came down, and, and how do you look at that through the the lens of what the Royals have done this off season? When I saw Bellinger sign his numbers, I was like, "Wow, good for the Cubs." That was, you know, that's a very reasonable deal to get at his at his peak, potentially an NL MVP candidate he was very very good last year even though the underlying analytics don't really say that he hits the ball very hard well the production numbers are definitely there last year and the year before that so it i guess not the year before that but last year was very very good so i i think the cubs got a pretty good deal it is a little bit risky for the underlying metrics but he's got two he's got a player option for the two the second year and third right. year yeah. um so it it would have been a nice contract to give him as a royals front office executive, but I don't know if he's taking that money from Kansas City. I think he probably does have a little bit of a, a discount for the Cubs, considering they kind of paid to believe in him last season and kind of get him back on track. I don't know if the Royals getting that same contract for Bellinger, but I also I don't really know what I would do with Bellinger at this point. With the current Royals outfield still needing to figure out what you have there, between MJ, between Waters, between Isbell, between Nelly, between you know Gentry, between all these guys that they not even including the Hunter Renfro, the Garrett Hampson, the Adam Frazier's of the of the ilk. So I don't know I don't know where he would fit in this situation, but that seems like a contract that I would want the Royals to hand out if they go I don't know just under 500 this year. I would want them to go spend on a big free agent next year and see what that what that can get them in 2025. So. It could be a year behind that, that I'm too, you know, pretty ex- worked up about that. But good for the Cubs and good for Bellinger at that point, too. Yeah, I know where he fits. Uh, starting center fielder and batting fourth. <laughs> I know exactly <laughs> where he fits. I mean, 
but again, you're right. I mean, it, it could be. It's a risky proposition. I mean, he was phenomenal last year. The three years prior, he was absolutely atrocious. And then 2019 was when he was the MVP while hitting 47 bombs. Um, again, maybe he... he uh... Sorry, Josh. Every once in a while, Sterling turns into Jim Rome, and he doesn't realize it, but it's just sort of, it's something we overlook on purpose here. Go ahead, Wait, what Sterling. did they do? Nothing, man. How many bombs did he hit? I keep my lettuce tight. What did, what did he say earlier <laughs> that I said to, back to you, Dylan? I said so, Sterling said something at one point. I just I just hit the talk back just to say to Dylan something like it was a three syllable word. I just couldn't remember. What incredible, it was. phenomenal, phenomenal. Uh, go ahead, uh, Rugula. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Adam Frazier, dark passenger. Just every once in a while, rack him. Uh, I think Adam Frazier versus Michael Massey might be the most interesting, or at least up in the air, actual positional battle it's during spring training. Uh, <laughs> where, where, where do you? land on Michael Massey versus Adam Frazier because I actually like the Frazier <laughs> signing in a nutshell because it's sending the message that that's great you're young potential but at some point you have to produce it's no more okay well maybe he could be something same thing with Nicky Lopez right eventually you have to actually do something what do you make of this positional battle in spring training 100% with you I, I think it is a very good signing in that fact that it's going to potentially push Michael Massey without getting into his head too much um, I think that's kind of the underrated part of it is you're not bringing in a top free agent that's going to be like, well, this is your replacement if you can't figure it out in spring training, Michael Massey. So they didn't do that, but they did bring in a quality hitter in Adam Frazier. I, I mean, he's always been just a bit under league average outside of the one you know flash year where he was out of his mind. But I think it is a quality left-handed bat that they did bring in to, to be able to hit or play multiple positions, not just second base, but potentially give – you know, Michael Garcia arrested uh, third base or shortstop of Bobby Bobby Witt. So, I I, I do like the the signing, but it, it does not have a huge uh, up factor on that. It's not gonna it's not gonna send them over the hump uh, by any means. But I do like the potential that it could do for Michael Massey, who again, his actual numbers versus his expected numbers were one of the worst in baseball. He was very very unlucky compared to those numbers last year. So. I think that this could also help him kind of stabilize those numbers, push him a little bit more, and see where we are after that. But it's not a great commitment to Adam Frazier. It is pretty easy to eat that money if they have to, if there's nothing there. If Michael Massey goes and wins that job, you're not complaining about it anyway. So I, I do like the signing after after plenty of nights sleep, sleeping on it. I, I do like that kind of how that all kind of is going to shape up. Well, and same thing with Hunter Renfro. The reason why I like these moves, it reminds yeah. me, again, slightly of Tampa Bay. What does Tampa Bay do for a long time that I think a lot of people don't realize? They don't have bad players. Like, I know it seems so yeah. simple, mm-hmm. simplistic, but they don't have these black holes. They don't have the best players. Like, they don't have the Mike Trout, the Juan Sotos, or the elite guys, but they have a, a, a just a from top to bottom, a lineup of guys who are at least average or better. And not having those yep. black holes is really the difference in why they are consistently in the playoffs. So what the Royals are doing is they are raising the floor. They raised the floor with Hunter Renfro being the guy over um, Edward Olivares, right? Edward Olivares is fine in a nutshell if you're trying to figure things out, but I think you have the known guy who's at least average with Hunter Renfro. You have the known guy who's at least average with Adam Frazier. Those, to me, signal what Tampa Bay would do. You can't have those black holes, two, three black holes, seven, eight, nine in your lineup. You just won't win. 100%. It allows you to maintain flexibility in the lineup and defensively 
while also playing matchup baseball, which is also something the Rays do, and it's also something Matt Cotrero wants to do, I think. So being able to bring in veterans that can provide leadership within the clubhouse as well as good production at the plate that you know is you know a known commodity, you got that coming off the bench every night between Adam Frazier, between uh, Freddie Fermin, Garrett Hampson, between um, Dyron Blanco is kind of a, a unsung hero here. Yeah. So I think that there is quality on that bench, and when your roster you're turning the bottom of that roster like that, it allows you to play higher than your anticipated outcome. Josh, you left your house, went to a movie theater, and paid money to see Madam Web. Sure did. I sure did, Joshua. And uh, let me tell you, I don't regret a single cent of that. <laughs> please, 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 please walk. take me with you into the theater and what that experience was like. Because I've only seen reviews. And, uh, I mean, it, it seems like the, the lead actress in the movie has not yet seen the movie and likely never will. So uh, what was your Madam Web experience? Uh, so going into it was that the Jeff D'Lo, the movie guy with Barstool Sports, talks about like me and a buddy go see all the superhero movies together. It's our mandates that we we cherish. We haven't seen any of the Sony Spider-Man spinoffs, so we kind of went in blind. But that Jeff D'Lo tweet talking about how Mount Rushmore, Jordan in his prime, that's how bad this movie was. So we couldn't not see this. And boy. Did it not disappoint in like an inverted? It it was very bad. It was very like laughable. Like five minutes in, you're like, wow, this is awful. Very very bad. So that was the experience. I have. It's been a while since I have cringed so much for two hours where I just covered my face and could not stop watching the screen. So it <laughs> it is a horrible movie all around to the point where it goes past just being angry about your time and money spent but being happy that you experienced it there's something about that it's like oh gross come smell this i'll be like oh i guess i guess i got a whiff like oh take you won't believe how gross this is yeah i'll I'll take a bite the writing the acting the story (laughs) all there is not a single it's so hard to not get a single thing right in a movie i mean We've got Dakota Johnson, whatever. I'm not a big fan of her. Sydney Sweeney's at the height of her powers. Adam Scott might be uh, Adam Scott's in it? If he hasn't already. Oh, yeah, he's in this movie. <laughs> Didn't it, know he was in it. I've never Scott heard named. of this movie. <laughs> I, have not, I have not once. When you said Madam Web, I, I thought you were like making like an Adam West joke or no, something. Like I have, I've no, never a, once heard of Madam Web. It's a clue character. She, she <laughs> killed the butler in the dining room with the candlestick. Madam Webb. She no, it's it's real bad. I am. I appreciate the work you went to 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 make sure you could be there to experience that. I can't. It's excellent to me that Sterling is just learning this movie exists only only in the context of how horrendous this has been going. I've not. I haven't seen it, Sterling. You want to go? Uh, you free at like two today? Yeah, two thirty. I, I, I like bad movies. Don't you want, don't you want to grab a matinee? I don't know. I'm I'm I am morbidly curious, but also I feel like I don't. Kind of sounds like three hours of my life I'll never get back. That's so. kind of what, but, but it's, it's okay. a special experience, though. Hear me out. 12% of the 218 critics' reviews are positive. 12% of the critic reviews are yeah, fresh? Yeah, the average you, rating you of 3.4 out of 10. The website's consensus reads, Madam Webb's earnest approach to the title character's origin story has a certain appeal, but its predictable plot and uneven execution what? make for a forgettable superhero adventure. Wow. 
you can go ahead and revoke all privileges from those critics. Just take them all, maybe even their right to vote in the American <laughs> elections at all times, because their judgment is so poor that like, it cannot be redeemed much like Madam Webb. They are the Madam Webb of mm. film critics. <laughs> I got to roll a long way before I start getting uh... – here, here's a fresh one for you guys. All right, Here's a six out of ten fresh one. Dakota Johnson's yeah, droll, in-on-the-joke star turn, plus a weirdly welcoming stupidity, at least makes Sony's ill-fated, not-quite-a-superhero movie a painless good time. That's a fresh review. Yeah. If a movie's painless, that's not typically <laughs> a good indicator. And I, there is no way she was, quote, in-on-the-joke. No. There is no way that, I mean, she just didn't want to, she phoned, that was, it was awful. It, that her specifically was awful. Um, but I don't want to besmirch anybody who works. I mean, it's hard. They work hard. I don't want to, you know, lay into people too much. This is a good experience because you will not cut. It's like salt burn. Like, you're, you're going to come out of there and be like, what happened to me right now? I don't know how to be a person at this very moment, but in a good way. And don't. And you, you, you use matinee. Don't, don't spend this Friday night primetime surging hour. Don't send that money. Go to a $6 matinee. That's all you need to do. Um, Sterling, don't start reading the plot of Saltburn live mm. on the radio, just as a little gift from me to you. You know who didn't phone it in? I mean, literally on the phone, Josh, but certainly not phoning it in in effort. Josh Kaiser of the One Royal Way podcast, bad movie aficionado, and you can find him on KC Sports Network. Josh, appreciate you being here to celebrate the year of Cole Reagans and the year of Madam Webb. Appreciate you. Long live the parlay. Let's go. Thanks for having me, boys. There's some incredible odds out there. If you missed it, you can get Bobby Witt MVP, Cole Rakins, AL Cy Young, Royals to make the playoffs at, like, plus a billion. Think about how many matinee movies you can see by uh, by hitting that parlay there. Check them out again on the One Royal Way podcast on uh, KC Sports Network. We will take a timeout here in the zone. Joshua Briscoe, Sterling Holmes, and Dylan Michaels with you. We'll take a timeout, come back, and uh, either talk about bad movies, the Royals, or a little Chris Jones intel that I think is worth kicking around. We'll see where we end up next in the zone. Thanks again to Josh Kaiser of the One Railway Podcast for joining us. Going to keep talking to him all season long. He'll be our Monday Royaler and uh, really enjoy getting to hear from him. Movie reviews and baseball reviews and otherwise. Joshua Briscoe, Sterling Holmes, and Dylan Michaels with you here today. Jason Anderson out today and tomorrow. So uh, I'm over here and I decided, you know what? Feels like a Tuesday. Not a Tuesday. It's a Monday, but a Tuesday. Uh, Sterling, you said we were talking before the show about just some things we might want to talk about at some point. And you have, let me get the actual, uh, let me get the phrasing right here. What I have written down is Stu's Sky More Take. Not to get to the Scandinavian thing we may get to later uh, on. Yeah. Um, but I, generally speaking, kind of have. Uh, I think I also have a little bit of a Sky Moore take, and I'm really interested to know where where you're uh, originating from. Yeah, so what I'm saying is I think he can be a useful wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I know folks are going to take this out of context with no nuance and say, what are you talking about, Sterling? Cut him. Trade him. He's a bum. Why is he on this team? Yeah, he'll be good. He should be a slot receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs because that's what he is. He's not an outside receiver, so putting him on the outside is going to bring back bad results. It's a combination. Yeah, you'd like him to thrive out there or at least be decent or at least be useful, at least be Demarcus Robinson, but guess what? He's not. 
And at some point, if you keep trotting them out there, it's not going to work well, and you're going to end up like what you saw Sky Moore this season with the Chiefs. Now, I said you should probably try and use them in the slot, and I keep seeing people on my account say, yeah, maybe a slot machine in Vegas. Yeah, you got that <laughs> hey, one. That's that actually clever. kind of funny. That was actually pretty like good. That. I'm not going to get mad at those people. That was actually pretty clever. But w- what it comes down to for me is Rasheed Rice was playing the power slot this year. Yep. He, he, that's where the majority of his snaps were coming from, and he was much better than Sky. I am not saying you take out Rasheed Rice and, and insert Sky more there. I'm saying if you were going to start playing Rasheed Rice more on the outside, which I think could be a legitimate possibility, uh-huh. then what happens? Well, that actually allows Sky more to go back to his previous position where he was at least useful. I'm not saying great. I'm not using the same lame old sky's the limit. No. Uh, Jamarcus Robinson in the slot's the <laughs> limit. Like sky's not the limit, but you would like a little more. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> Right? Yes. That's a wreck. Yes. That's I, a wreck. I'm saying like 400 to 500 yards is in the realm of possibility for and this guy. And that would be a freaking slam dunk. That yes. would be a jackpot in the slot. Yes. And, and again, I, I'm not saying he's this superstar, but he's on a rookie contract with two more years left. The, the, the Chiefs are not just giving up on him. Like, I, I don't understand this. I, I guess I take the back. I do understand this. When you see Rasheed Rice come in and immediately thrive, you say, why couldn't it be him? Sure. When you look around and say, well, they could have had George Pickens, and, and then this. It's the same thing with DK Metcalf versus uh, McCole Harbin. I understand this. At some point, though, it's a sunk cost. He is on your team. The Chiefs drafted him. He will be here two more years because he's on a rookie contract. How can you find a way to make him valuable? The Chiefs did with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Yes, it was a mistake drafting him in the first round, obviously. But what did the Chiefs do? They go. They well, found a way. They to found use a way, and, yep. and, and, and they made him a again useful player. They can find a way with Sky Moore, and it comes from him playing in the slot. It all comes down to me: is do you view Rasheed Rice as a power slot, or do you view him as a actual outside X type wide receiver? That's what it comes down to. Because if you view him only as a power slot, Sky Moore's done. He's going to play a handful of snaps, maybe throughout this season. I get that. But what I come down to, and what I'm trying to find folks uh, to, to have some sort of understanding is, this guy's going to be here. Mm-hmm. How can they find a way to make him useful? This is how I think they can find a way to make him useful. And if you are talking about a receiver room that's going to look very different in a lot of places, Richie James is not going to be on this team next year. I'm sorry. I don't want to be the one. You. I know. I'm sorry. Um, but if if he's getting some combination of the snaps that went to guys that couldn't unseat him or some of his own original snaps, I think there's some work for that there. The two things that give me pause here, even from I'm coming from a point where I'm generally kind of agreeing, I think, with with your hope for Sky Moore. They gave him a lot of snaps yes. that were not productive, and that I I I don't think they're gonna I don't think he'll be a training camp cut. I think Sky Moore is going to be on this team this year. I think the rookie contract matters. I think the cost matters. I think. Dude, if you if you find a way to have him on punt coverage and you're just paying him like a special teamer who gets Richie James's snaps, probably don't make him punt return, but you you know, <laughs> uh, it, if there is any role for him, it makes more sense for him to be on this team than not on this team. Unless you unless you AJ Jenkins, John Baldwin him with some other second third round draft pick at receiver from a similar year and just a couple of teams is it's a, a change of scenery trade. Sure. And frankly, I I think I'd sign up for that. I think you might sign up for that if it was sure. a change of scenery trade for a team with too many outside receivers and an outside guy that never quite made it work. Uh, we're, we're a year early on Quentin Johnston, I guess. Um, where none of us here in this show, Jason, more than any one of the Chiefs to draft him. But if you told me in two years they, the Chargers were like, hey, this dude's nothing. 
you want to swap for your nothing for our nothing? I mean, maybe ask Andy Reid. Let it, I, whatever Andy Reid says and whatever Patrick Mahomes says, I agree with that result, whatever it ends up being. But I think it makes sense to have Sky Moore in the mix of this team when you have him in a spot where you're saying he's probably receiver five. Yes. And then if he's able to achieve higher than that, you're you're happy with it. There is going to be enough of a turnover that I do think you need to make some tough decisions and you need to say, hey, we're, we're not going to hold on to Sky Moore. We're not going to feed the ball to Sky Moore if we think there's another better player that's earning that. But I'm not really worried about the Chiefs doing that. The Chiefs aren't going to embarrass themselves trying to make themselves look right on this one too long into the future. I'm just I'm not really stressed about that. And again, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Yeah. Breland speaks. We, that's, that's the perfect example of they will move on if they have to. And then also you've seen the other side of thing with Clyde where they go, OK, he's still on the roster. How can we make it viable? It's going to be somewhere in there. And, and when it comes down with Sky Moore, you saw him. His rookie season, towards the end, show a little bit of juice. Mm-hmm. And we saw him in the slot make a couple of useful catches and nice plays that made us all excited about what could he be in his sophomore season. It obviously did not happen. But at the, at the same time, I just sit back and he is going to be wide receiver four, wide receiver five. You're probably looking at, obviously, um, I, I think Justin Watson's back, by the way, yeah, he's uh, like, yeah, because he's under contract, although they could cut him. At least I saw his contract. And the zero guaranteed money is what I think it I think was. There's a tiny bit of guaranteed, but yeah. But you find a way to make it work. Um, I just want to have some new ones. Yeah. In the salary cap era, especially with Mahomes, with the cap hit that he currently has, with the Chiefs trying to bring back Chris Jones, Legereus, the offensive line with the money getting paid to Jawan and Joe Tooney, you're not just saying, yeah, we'll cut Sky and bring in Mike Evans. Right. Well, that's, that's, we're not saying Sky's going to be Mike Evans, right. but you still have to have the back-end wide receivers on the roster, especially when they are on a rookie deal. If a rookie contract wide receiver who was drafted, well, where, where did Sky Moore go? Was he 50-something? Yeah, right? second round, whatever it was. If some other team's second-round receiver two years out of the draft got cut and the Chiefs signed him, it would all be, what does Veach know? Veach loved him. He loved him in the draft. They got they swept him up because some other team couldn't use him right. That logic, I think, holds. Uh, Justin Watson would be one hundred fifty grand in dead cap money. He'll yeah. be back on a $2 million uh, salary. I... million per spot track for his cap hit. He'll be back on that. The issue with Sky Moore and the difference between Sky Moore and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is that, and it's funny because I don't think anybody was more beside themselves from the Clyde draft picks than we were. Yep. And I'm still going to get taste for that at some point. And I don't know that there are a whole lot of people more on on the team of Clyde will be on the 2023 Chiefs and should be than us. Yeah. Because... We knew exactly, exactly what Clyde's role was going to be this year. We knew exactly what it was. Isaiah Pacheco is your number one running back, but on third downs, you'd like it to be Jarek McKinnon. He's a better pass catcher, better in pass pro, knows the offense. But your third running back can be a guy who has been in this offense for years, who has done a little bit of everything in this offense, none of it at an elite level, frankly, none of it at a great level post-injury, but all of it at a competent level. So there's a role for that guy here if either of the running backs in front of him get hurt. And guess what? They both did. Mm -hmm. So Clyde had a role. I'm not as convinced right now that that opportunity will be there for Sky Moore. And frankly, the Chiefs shouldn't leave an opportunity there. If Sky Moore can take an opportunity, then that's fine. But it is a little bit of a tougher road for him, in my view, because they do have the best slot receiver on their team is, is Rasheed Rice. Correct. And I don't know how they're going to, to view that receiving group this offseason. Who are they going to bring in? Because 
It, it's not just they're going to move on from MVS. They will. But who's the MVS replacement if they don't get it some you know little restructured thing done with him, which I guess there's a chance for, but I'm not betting on. They're going to have to replace outside receivers first, and I don't know how they view the next year of Rasheed Rice, but I would really be bummed if he got forced out of his best spot to try to maximize, to give Sky Moore another shot, right? So that right there, that's where my nuance is coming from. Same, same exact situation. I'm not saying force Rasheed Rice, but if you saw him play more outside as the season progressed, well... Does that make them believe that he is an outside guy versus, again, a power slot? With Sky Moore, final thought for me at least, um, I think it's a lot of the mental side, not the physical side, which, again, you can make the case with Kadarius Tony as well. It's mm-hmm. the mental side, not the physical. With Sky Moore, though, I don't think he's not engaged at times. Like I think you can make the case maybe with, with, with Kadarius. With Sky Moore, it's, I think he's overthinking. If you look at his routes, he's trying so hard to, to run the perfect route. He's trying so hard to, to run this exact route without any sort of feel. Mm-hmm. Right? You have to have the feel side of things. It's almost like Chuck Knobloch. When he couldn't throw the ball to first base, it was God. You J- love crossbar John, analogy John so much. Lester when he couldn't do a pickoff move. Uh, Rick Ankeel trying to pitch. Right. I don't so, know if Sky Moore has the yips. Man, he couldn't get open. I don't know. But, but, but I, I think part is because he's trying so hard. I think he needs to relax. Like I, that's personally where I'm coming from. When I watch him, I think he's overthinking. And when you're overthinking in football, you're done. It moves too quick. So maybe a season off where, again, he had high expectations last year. His expectations were he might be wide receiver one. Yeah, that was that was publicized. You know who else was in that mix? Canarius Tony. Can I tell, uh, Can I share a fun stat with you? Yes. Canarius Tony's uh, cap hit this upcoming season is a little over $2.5 million. Do you know how much they save by releasing Canarius Tony? Oh, probably hardly anything. Zero. Yeah, he might be back. Zero dollars. So that's going to be something else to keep in mind. You want to talk about receivers with what with potential, and with, you can't save much by letting them go. You got a whole lot of stressful wide receiver decisions, but hopefully they're towards the bottom of the roster as we go. But Sky Moore doesn't stress out the team. T- Tony, I think maybe stresses out. I wish he'd stress out defenses. That would <laughs> honestly be ideal. Uh, that's Sterling Holmes. I'm Joshua Briscoe. He's stressing me out now. All right, I have a question for you guys. I'm letting you keep one of these wide receivers. You're betting on one of these receivers to make an impact in 2024. Sterling, do you want Sky Moore or Kadarius Tony? Sky Moore. Dylan? I'm going to go Kadarius Tony. I think I'm also going to go Kadarius Tony, and I just feel absolutely sick about it. Yeah, me too. I didn't like it. I, it doesn't feel good to say. It's why I wanted to ask you guys about it on air first, make you just work through these feelings. Better chance that Kadarius Tony has 400 yards next year, or he becomes a SoundCloud rapper just full time. Um, I don't know, man. Is, is Sky Moore going to play football? I think Tony, <laughs> is he going to get into Tony. the mix? I'm still. I think there's still a good chance at SoundCloud, but I think Sky Moore just might not get any hits. I don't feel great about it. I should probably draft somebody. Is Mike Evans available? Where's Mick Schaefer? <laughs> 